okay, there's that. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Brad Kendall. I'm lead pastor here. We are going to be wrestling also uh, with the body. Um, we're going to be doing Q&A after the message today, so if you have a question, please either write it down in your uh, Ask Pastor Brad card, and you can pass that to the center of the room, and an usher will get it, or you can text me a question if you text a question to that number right there. Let's pray, shall we? Holy God, we are grateful for your presence. We're grateful for your spirit that is truth. We are grateful, God, for matter. <laughs> and God, we, we want to have a biblical understanding of what it is to have a body. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, how are you feeling about your body? Uh, I was looking through uh, uh, different parts of uh, pop culture and literature this week, and as you may know, uh, Hamlet would prefer to shuffle off this mortal coil. Uh, William, uh, not William Wordsworth, forgive me, uh, Walt Whitman, the great American poet, uh, would like to sing the body electric. Uh, popular singer-songwriter John Mayer believes your body is a wonderland, but ironically, he says he is bigger than his body. Interesting. Theodore Rethke wrote a poem about the body. It goes like this. Indelicate is he who loathes the aspect of his fleshy clothes, the flying fabric stitched to bone, the vesture of the skeleton, the garment neither fur nor hair, the cloak of evil and despair, the veil long violated by caresses of the hand and eye. Yet such is my unseemliness, I hate my epidermal dress. The savage blood's obscenity, the rags of my anatomy, and willingly would I dispense with false accoutrements of sense to sleep immodestly a most incarnadine and carnal ghost. So, how do you feel about your epidermal dress? Hmm. You know, it's really an important question. It's an important question because how we value something uh, helps us figure out how to use that something. If you don't value your body, then that will compel you to make certain decisions with your body. If you don't value other people's bodies, that will compel you to make certain decisions about uh, your interaction with other people's bodies. A lot of us, of course, see the body through the lens of our culture, which often idolizes the body or demeans the body. The purpose of this series, and we're going to be hanging in this series for quite a while, is to help us see our bodies biblically, to see the body through God's eyes. And of course, to do this, we have to lay a very firm foundation. We'll go all the way back to the creation of foundation, Genesis 1 and 2. And so if you would, I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible or open Genesis 1 and 2 on your phone. We're going to be touching down at certain places, and I want you to have it handy so you can reference those places, or if you want to, you can look at what is surrounding it 
and ask me questions from there. We're going to start with uh, creation, Genesis 1, with the idea that our bodies are created with original image bearing in mind. If you're a note taker, now is the time to take out that pencil or pen. Our bodies are designed for original image bearing in mind. It's a good time to remember that the Bible actually puts a pretty huge stake in the ground and says that humans, not dogs and cats and whales and dolphins or llamas or spiders, humans are the ones who are actually made in the image of God. And if you would, I'm going to ask you to stand your body up, and I'm going to ask all of the image bearers in the room to read out loud to me this fundamental verse from Genesis 1. Let's read this together. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. Before you sit down, I'm going to ask all of you who are made in the image of God, and that is all of you, to just turn a little bit and look at all the other image bearers around you. handsome looking crowd, yeah. (laughs) Now, one of the beautiful things about the Scriptures is all of you were born and created in the image of God. And it's not just the idea that you have emotions and God, God, you get angry, God gets angry. Uh, You get happy, God gets happy. You know, God has these characteristics, so we have these characteristics. It's not just that. You actually were physically created by God. Your epidermal dress was created so that you would tell the world something about who God is. You may be seated. Now, scholars believe, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but but scholars believe that the original writing of uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 was, was in the context of people who understood what it was to live in kingdoms where these kingdoms, these kings had realms and even had temples. And what would you find in the middle of a temple? Well, you'd find an image of the God, Right? And we see this even in our culture today. Well, you know, it, it's very easy in our culture to know what's the president look like? What does the leader of North Korea look like? What is the leader, you know, we, we have these images all along, and we know when we see the image, well, that's not, that's not Kim Jong-un, <laughs> but we know that's what he looks like. And what God has done is God has created his realm, he's created his creation and he dwells within it, but within it, he has created image bears. He has placed in the center of, of his creation an image bearer. So that when we see that, we know, huh, well, that's at least a first step in knowing a little bit about who the God is. Now, within that, I talked last week about the idea that our, our bodies are sacramental. Our bodies are sacramental. They make the invisible visible. Okay, so if you think about what a sacrament is, so communion is a sacrament. We have physical bread, we have physical juice, or in different traditions we have wine, okay? Those visible things exist to help us understand something invisible, broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. When we think of baptism, baptism is a sacrament, we have something physical. We have water. We have physical being, you. That physical being is, goes down into the water in a death and is come to life in a resurrection. 
The physicalness of baptism is to point us to something that is, that is deeper than just those physical things. Your body has actually been created for a holy purpose. It is sacramental. It is to say something about the God who is invisible. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Next to the holy sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Your body, my body, was created for a holy purpose. It is set apart and it is sacred for God's purposes. But along the way, we got a little mixed up. And a lot of scholars blame Plato. Not Plato like this, Plato, (laughs) uh, the Greek philosopher. Plato had this understanding of a a, a dualistic uh, creation, dualistic universe. And he spread the thinking that spirit is good, kind of like Dr. Shemana Guru. Spirit is good, but matter doesn't matter. (laughs) Matter is bad, actually. And this thinking led throughout history, actually, even within the church, to a contempt for the body and a longing to shuffle off this mortal coil and liberate the soul from the hold of the body and its lower functions. But guess what? That's not biblical. It's really not in your Bible. In fact, the whole chapter of Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis especially, is a celebration of matter. Over and over, what we see in the first six days of creation is God speaks, God creates, and what does God say about the matter that's created? He says it's good. Yeah, and he makes the man and the woman in his image. He says, God saw, the Bible says, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. It's right there in the Bible. And while our bodies are affected by the matrix of sin, they were created good. And that's just not, that's not bad grammar. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is they were created out of God's goodness, So when we look at our bodies, we can say our bodies are good. They are born out of the one who is good, God. Secondly, Genesis tells us the body was created original in solitude, designed for community. And I hope this will, this will be kind of like, like a grain of sand you know, put in the oyster and it's going to have to sit for a while, but just hang with me for a little bit. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look, we're going to head into Genesis 2 just a little bit. Just so you know, Genesis 1 and 2 are, are kind of two interesting creation stories. Genesis 1 is, is kind of taken from the standpoint of the transcendent God uh, creating and calling forth into existence all of creation. What we have in Genesis 2, really, is the imminent God, the very present God, working kind of like a potter with clay in this, in this creation. And we read in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, so we have God forming out of the dust this being, and God breathes into this being, and and this being comes to life. Now, notice what we do not have here. We do not have anywhere in the creation account, the division of body and soul. In the the first service, I saw eyes look at me like, huh? 
It's really not in there. What we have is dust and breath. God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life. Interesting side note, what is the Hebrew word for ground? It's the word Adama. So, fascinatingly, what is the name of the man formed from the dust of the ground? Adam. Adam was formed from the Adama. And to create Adam, God did not insert a soul into body. (laughs) That's not what we have in the text. No, Adam was created as a living, unified, living being formed from the Adama brought to life by the breath of God. And back in February, we talked about how God's Word is God-breathed. Well, Genesis 2 tells us that we are God-breathed. And we are not souls inserted into bodies, side note. There was not some eternal Brad existing on the shelf of God's universe you know, here's, here's my soul, and then God formed, you know, at, at my conception, there was a me, and then God took that soul that has been in, alive for eternity and put it into here. That's not in the Bible anywhere. No. When we are born, our physical being ha- receives the breath of life, and that is the point of our creation. We are living beings born out of that unified um, we, are live, we are living beings born out of the dust with a special creation of God breathing into us. Now, at this point in Genesis 2, it's interesting. We have the Adam, we have the Adama, but there in Genesis 2, there are no animals yet, which is kind of fascinating. Adam is alone. So God intervenes. Verse 15 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, uh, a lot of people get bugged by this idea, I will make a helper suitable for him. Just so you know, the Hebrew word there is the word azer, E-Z-E-R, and azer does not mean uh, bottle washer and cook. (laughs) That word helper, actually, is a word that God uses for himself in the rest of the Old Testament often. So that idea of helper does not mean less than, or else God would never use it uh, in reference to Himself. God is the helper of Israel. Eve is the helper to Adam. Adam is the helper to Eve, all right? So wipe that out of your mind. To find a helper for Adam, uh, God formed from the Adama, from the ground, possibilities, possible azers, okay? Verses 19 and 20, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. Interesting, the birds in the sky, the animals all made from the Adama. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. So Adam, formed from the Adama, has all these other bodies formed from the Adama as well brought to him. And uh, God wants to see. It's interesting. God, God doesn't name them. God says, I want to see what this, uh, this guy's going to name them. <laughs> and if we think about how language works for a second, it's actually kind of fun, I think. Um, why do we name a thing? Well, we name a thing to differentiate it from another thing, right? So, for example, we have a being, a body that goes, Roof. okay, we give that a name. Dog. 
we have another body, another being that goes meow. We give it a name, nuisance. No, all you cat lovers out there, not at all. That is not what, that's not biblical. <laughs> uh, we give it a name, uh, cat. Uh, and within that, we have, okay, dog, cat, something flying around. Okay, that thing flying is different from that and that body, so we give that a, a different name, bird. So we have all these different bodies, and, and they're given names because they are different. But in this narrative, it's important to understand that Adam looks at cat, dog, whale, whatever. He's like, huh, their bodies and my body are different. My body is not their body, and their body is not my body. And what's interesting, too, is in the narrative, we have God's presence. And the indication is, well, I'm not like that, I'm not like that, I'm not like that, but I'm not like God either. I am separate. I'm distinct. I am dignified because apparently none of these other creatures are able to communicate with Yahweh Elohim the way I am. So our bodies, we could say, are uniquely dignified according to the narrative. And that dignity is actually discovered by the fact that we are created in original solitude. We are set apart from the other bodies that have been born from the dust. And what's more, I think this is fascinating, God in Genesis 2 gives the Adam, gives Adam the, the vocation of taking care of the Adama. I want, you to, I want you to steward this. So Adam is going to take his, his body and it's going to encounter the dirt. And in that, through, because he has a body, he's going to know, huh, well, I might be made from that, but I'm not that. How does he know that? He knows that because of his body. His body encounters all these other bodies, these beings. And what's more, um, he begins to live in a, well, if I'm not that and I'm not that, why am I? What am I? And I bring that up to say that your body is an instrument that God has given us to compel us to wonder. And wonder is a beautiful thing. To, to say, okay, I'm not woof, I'm not meow. I'm not flying thing. Who am I? What am I? And that journey is part, I would say, part of God's design. I'm not God. I'm not the animals. I'm not the dirt. I'm unique. Now, within this, of course, Adam's alone. Still, all these animals come forward, and it's like, huh, well, that's not going to help. <laughs> that, that might be a helper for certain things, but it's not really the helper I was looking for. And so, God intervenes, and uh, Genesis 2, verses 20 through 23, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. 
The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, that text brings up all kinds of questions. We're going to spend more time with that part of the story next week. But for now, let's just live with this. As soon as the man looks upon the woman, he knows, huh, of all the other bodies, only this one is like me. This one's like me in complementary ways. Somehow, the two of us, I know, we go together. And that's part of God's design. How does he know this? His body tells him. (laughs) His body makes it obvious. Her body makes it obvious. She is like me, yet different in complementary ways. And all this speaks to what I would say is the fundamental openness of each of your bodies. Now think about this for a second. When you were born into this world, there was a fundamental openness designed in your being. You had to take that first breath. That which was out here had to come in here. Your eyes opened, light came in. Your ears opened, a sound comes in. Suddenly you're taking in water and you're taking in food, you're taking in nourishment. These bodies were designed as a part of reception. (laughs) They were designed to receive and they're designed to give. Think of all your nerve endings in these bodies. They are designed so that when you touch another, something, if it's done in love, something positive happens in you because you receive it, but also in them, because they have that same type of body. So we could say that our bodies are designed for love. Your body, not just your mind, your body is designed with purpose as an instrument of love, to give love and receive love as image bearers of the one who is love. So let's just sum up a little bit. What I've tried to do is help us see that God's creation story confirms your body is created for good, by good, created to reflect the one who is love, making the invisible visible. We are God-breathed image bearers, uniquely dignified among all of God's creation, designed to give and receive love. And if that's true, What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? Is it possible you can begin the practice, redeem your view of your body, so when you look in the mirror, you feel very comfortable saying, good. Look in that, and looking in that mirror image every morning and saying, even though your hair is messed up and the makeup's not on or whatever, you can look at that body and say, designed for good. I recognize we live in the matrix of sin and our bodies are fallen. I recognize some of your bodies right now are in a chapter where it feels like they're falling apart, but please make no mistake, your body matters. Matter matters in God's world, and your body matters. Also, is it possible that you can look in the mirror and say to yourself, I deserve to be treated with dignity. I'm an image bearer of God. 
I'm designed for love. I'm not designed for abuse. There's a strength that comes when we can stand up and say, you know what, I am not designed to be treated this way. It's okay to say that. The Bible confirms we are, com- we are created in dignity. Now, for many of us, that's easy. And if, you, if that's easy for you to get there and say, hey, looking good. <laughs> and and, and if, if you're very strong in yourself and you feel like, yeah, no, I absolutely, I will not stand for abuse. I am made in the image of God. Sorry, pal, you cannot treat me that way. If, if that's easy for you, maybe we think maybe the next step is, are there bodies that are made in the image of God that when you look at them, you don't see them as image bearers, you see them as an object or as something deserving of scorn? See, once we, once we begin to look at another body, another being, and we say, that is not a real human being, then we can treat them however we want in that type of thinking. But when I look at another and I say, that is an image bearer of God, then it matters how I treat them. Or maybe this is the time you need to reach out to someone in your sphere of influence where in the past you haven't treated them like an image bearer of God. And you write that body, that real being, a note, call them up on the phone, and say, I didn't treat you well. I didn't treat you like you're an image bearer. I, I, didn't, I didn't treat your body well. We're living in a culture right now where a lot of people are being called to task because they're not treating bodies with the dignity and respect that they should be treated with. Our call here at Faith Covenant Church is to be the body of Christ. And we need to make decisions according to that purpose. Let's stop there. I'm going to invite Ryan up. We're going to do some Q&A. I invite you to give me every hard question you can think of, and Ryan will answer it. If you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we do this quite a bit. And... uh, We do so in light of the fact that I recognize the right, I can be wrong. And um, what you want to do is you want to test what I might say or what Ryan might say, whatever would be said at this church, uh, to see if it's in line with with Scripture. Um, How about just one of those three there? All right. Uh, First one asks... So if our bodies aren't separate from our souls, are our bodies physically present in heaven? Uh, okay. Um, that's a great question. And we're actually going to spend a, a good chunk of time on that as we move uh, in through this series. We're going to be in this series uh, into summer, okay? So we're going to talk about uh, what resurrection means for our bodies, what eternity looks like physically. Uh, what I will say right now is... That biblically speaking, you will have an eternal new body. You will have a new body. The Bible is very specific. We will receive new bodies. Um, the question comes, what happens if uh, Ryan dies today and the, the, uh, the consummation of the kingdom, the coming of Christ hasn't yet happened? 
where is Ryan's being in between? And um, one thing that's interesting is the scriptures uh, are not, um, they're not horribly interested in answering that question for us. <laughs> what they do do is they tell us there's a physical eternity. I always tell people the best way to imagine your body eternally is to imagine the res- is to take the resurrection stories from the gospels and, and see your resurrection in light of Jesus' resurrection. Okay? He had a physical body and uh, still with the wounds, actually, which is interesting. Um, and he was recognizable. So you'll be physical and you'll be recognizable. In that in-between time, uh, we'll wrestle with that a little bit further on down the road. I don't know that I even have a great answer right now. Did this, let's go with that one, shall we? Yeah, uh, this one asks, um, why was I born with cerebral palsy? Yeah, um, that is a great question. Um, I will start by saying, I don't know. And I'll, I won't leave it there, but, but I will say this. Um, somehow, there is something amazing um, in the way God has created things that your body is still an image-bearing body, and we learn so much about God through you. Outside of that, I don't know, but I do know you are beautiful, and we, God speaks to us and tells us stuff about himself through you. And I would say that for everyone. And all of our, our, those parts of our bodies where we're like, why this? Uh, God speaks, and he speaks truth, and it's good, and it's love. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not hard. Yeah. Thank you. With, with that, let me just give a shameless plug for when Emily Colson is speaking on, on April 7th. Uh, Emily has a son who is um, autistic, and um, that whole weekend will be speaking into um, the special needs that uh, many of us have as we move through uh, life with these bodies and how important um, that is to the, the, the church. So please make sure you come. Bring a friend on um, April 7th. This next one asks, if the spirit enters with the breath, then do unborn babies have a spirit or soul? Uh, I would like to say yes. Um, I don't know how I could say no. Um, the, the scriptures aren't specific. The scriptures say that, that God knit us together in our mother's womb, and, and so um, that is... That is creation there. I, and, and there is in any, you know, baby within a, a mother's womb is receiving oxygen, is receiving breath. Um, and, and it's because of, you know, someone asked me previously, you know, where, how do, what does all this say about abortion and so forth? Um, we'll, we'll spend some time in, on that in this series. I guess I would say, no matter whether you're on the right or the left on this issue, um, I I think we need to, I think it's okay to say that when God said I, that he knit us together in his mother's womb, that that, that is a unified living being uh, designed to bear God's image. And I'll, I'll stop it there. Okay. Uh, this person asks, so my brain works very literally. It's hard for me to believe in things I cannot see. Is God mad at me for doubting him? 
No. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I would say, I, th I think of, of Peter and um, Judas, okay? So you have two disciples. Two, both of them were part of the 12. Um, Judas, uh, Peter's doubt, you know, oftentimes he's kind of coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, no, it's not going to be like this. Jesus, please don't do that. You know, he, he's constantly kind of doubting that what Jesus wants to do is what Jesus should really do. Um, and, or, or questioning, maybe is a better way to put it. But, but J J Peter's questioning doesn't lead him away from God, from Jesus. It actually leads him closer to Jesus. Judas is different. Judas's doubt actually compelled him to stop trusting in, uh, believing in, and depending upon. So if your doubt is moving you toward a place where you are not believing in or depending upon, you're not operating in faith, I don't think it's God, I don't think God's mad at you. I think God is like, no, 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 you can trust me, you can trust me. You can depend on my, upon me. Even though you don't understand right now, you can trust me and depend upon me. And so um, my counsel would be move in the direction of Peter. Ask all the questions you ever, would ever want to ask. God's not afraid of our questions. And so that you might be drawn into deeper, deeper uh, trusting and believing in and depending upon. All right? Thank you all. Thanks, Ryan. Good job. Give Ryan a big round of applause. So I hope you see that this is going to be a fun journey. Uh, I think we're going to be uh, heading in interesting ways. Uh, and I think what, you, what we'll be doing, you'll find very helpful, again, because uh, the way we value these bodies determines what we do with these bodies and how we value other people's bodies. All right, why don't you stand? We're, we'll be done here. Um, if you have a prayer need, we're going to have people down front who would love to pray for you. Just come on down front. You'll see a lanyard around them. They'd love to pray for you. Uh, also, Jill uh, and I will be just outside these doors. If you're new to faith, we'd love to meet you. We have a free gift for you. We have a little welcome area there. Uh, just come over and uh, shake my hand, shake her hand. We'd love to to get to know you. Uh, finally, uh, I have a closing charge uh, that we've created for this uh, series, and I would like to give us this again today. So, go now, not as accidents without purpose, but put one foot in front of the other as image bearers of the living God. He is the Word in flesh and bones, and we, the church, His body. Take the, wor the word you've heard with real ears and the truth you've processed in fleshy brains, put breath to vocal cords and give voice to God's love. So when people see you, they see Jesus with skin on. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.